And welcome to another edition of the Double A Team here on the Barroom Network. I'm Ken Fang, along with Stephen Nagishi. And uh, if you weren't with us a couple of weeks ago, we had an announcement that now we're going to be a one-hour show. And we have White Sox Talk coming up right after us as well. So we look forward to that. And we look forward to having a shorter show for the baseball season um, uh, throughout the, the next few months. Stephen, nice to be on with you. We have a lot of things to talk about. Yes, sir. Um, you know, like Ken said, uh, you know, there will be White Sox talk after this show. So, uh, you know, with the baseball starting this week, finally, after the uh, long delayed work stoppage that possibly derailed the, uh, the baseball season, uh, hopefully the back to back shows will keep us the, uh, entertained for uh, throughout the baseball season. Yes, absolutely. And uh, well, with, with the fact that we have a shorter show, let's get right to our uh, first of all, let's talk about the, the guests who are going to have, Stephen. What, uh, who are we going to have on tonight? Well, since the uh, April is also the end of draft, which is in a few weeks, and this is the, the Bears, uh, you know, centric show, the Bears centric network, we have a side uh, Koshul. Uh, who is the uh, the Bears report on 24-7 Sport, and uh, Rishab Sikri, who is the uh, the Bears YouTuber that many Bears fans are probably familiar with, the Windy City uh, production. Uh, so we're looking forward to having both of them to talk about the Bears offseason as well as the crazy NFL offseason. And, uh, you know, Ken, we didn't talk about this last week. Uh, you know, you being a Browns fan, you know, we'll talk about the the controversial you know, Deshaun Watson trade and how you really feel about, you know, uh, the whole, does whole trade being played down as well. Mm -hmm. Well, I've got a lot of things to say about that, but uh, let's first get on to the, our first segment, which we talk about uh, things in the news. And uh, we talk first talk about on the latest on the Ricketts family efforts to buy uh, Chelsea in the English Premier League. Of course, uh, their current, their owner, a Russian oligarch, Roman Abramovich is uh, has basically uh, been sanctioned in the UK, so he can he can no longer operate uh, Chelsea. And Chelsea was basically put into um, a state of flux as they didn't have any money to basically almost didn't have enough money to pay their players. Uh, mm -hmm. Almost got uh, locked out of their uh, practice facility. Um, a lot of things happened. Uh, the Ricketts right now trying to purchase. The uh, Chelsea, another former NF, another NFL, oh, another owner in sports, an American sports owner, Woody Johnson from the uh, New York Jets, tried to uh, was also named as a potential owner. However, he was uh, eliminated early. But the Ricketts are hoping to purchase uh, Chelsea. They are still in the mix. Stephen, uh, let's talk about uh, Roman Abramovich. Who is he, and uh, what uh, what's going on? It's some interesting some interesting news that has happened over with him over the last week. But let's first talk about who is a, a Roman Abramovich. Well, he's a uh, Russian oligarch, as you mentioned. Um, I believe last week he was actually there was a report that he was actually poisoned and temporarily got blinded, which is uh, not a surprising stuff because if you follow the world news closely, you know, anybody who is considered uh, getting in the crosshairs of Vladimir Putin has been either killed or poisoned to death, mm -hmm. uh, even in, uh, you know, London, where I believe one of the uh, uh, double agents were 
killed by nuclear cyanide or something like that. So yes. it is surprisingly crazy. Um, Roman Abramovich uh, is a, a basically a guy who is what some say he's the basically the reason why Vladimir Putin has been able to maintain power all these years. Now, the tweet that you're seeing right now, um, this is actually a very, very long tweet. So if you um, if you have a Twitter account, I strongly suggest uh, follow this lady, Maria. I, I, I don't want to mispronounce her last name. There's about like a 20 statements on why or who Roman Abramovich is. She mentioned the elephant in the negotiation room. I mentioned last week, oh, I'm sorry, the last show, that Roman Abramovich is actually a a key figure in the negotiation between Russia and U, uh, Ukraine right now to halt the war. And then ironically, he ended up almost getting himself killed. Uh, it's, it's almost, uh, you know, you, you can't write a weirder script than this one, mm -hmm. considering, you know, his mother is Ukrainian and, you know, he has been in London. He bought the uh, Chelsea back in 2003 and spent like a billion dollars of money in a player transfer and won many, many trophies. Yeah. And uh, he has $1.5 billion in loan that he's also agreed to wave off before the UK government took over and sanctioned him. So if you want to know more about, you know, Roman Abramovich, I strongly, uh, you know, recommend following her story and get to know more about this man. Yeah. And there was also a, a, a 60-minute piece yesterday on CBS last night about, you know, the UK government having a hard time trying to keep away Russian oligarchs, you know, people like Abramovich, uh, who have made their, you know, money and uh, who have made their, you know, wielded their influence for a long, long time. So I strongly suggest uh, looking into that if you have like a CBS or Paramount Plus account as well there. Mm -hmm. And uh, interesting, uh, you, you did mention the fact that, um, and as a Chelsea fan, um, before all this came about, Abramovich was well-liked by Chelsea fans for the fact yes. that he was willing to spend money. And uh, there was, he's uh, managed to bring uh, Chelsea several English Premier League championships that before that time, Chelsea was actually in, in a state of it was flux like they were are in currently uh, yeah. financially and also on the bottom of the Premier League uh, in danger of being uh, relegated a couple of times. But now... Uh, of course, last year they won the uh, Champions League, and uh, they are uh, in the in the top tier of the Premier League right now. Even despite all the things that have been happening uh, with uh, their current financial situation, but let's talk about the Ricketts right now uh, and their involvement in, throughout this whole thing. Um, as we mentioned, they're in the mix to buy Chelsea. Um, what's the latest on on what you're hearing, Stephen? Well, uh, there was an article over by uh, over uh, on Goal.com, which is a very popular uh, soccer website. Um, their bids have been met with a lot of uh, criticism and backlash because uh, Tom Ricketts' father, Joe Ricketts, who has made some uh, snide comments regarding uh, some anti-Muslim backlash, which drew a huge rebuke from the fans and the current Chelsea uh, coach, Thomas Tuchel, who I believe was quoted as saying, there has to be some sort of a consequences that needs to be met with the comments like that. So, you know, and then Chelsea, 
uh, over the weekend, they lost to a, a team uh, called, uh, I believe, uh, Brentford that mm. was in the relegation zone. They look so putrid. I watched the second half of the game on USA. Uh, four to one, they lost to a team that was in the relegation battle. Well, no business losing, I did. Yeah. No, no, no. They had no business losing. So on and off the field, Chelsea uh, took a huge, huge loss there. And there was actually a protest outside the uh, Stamford Bridge where Chelsea plays. There were some fans out there chanting, uh, you know, hurling insults toward the um, uh, the We, we yeah, look to the a, English to have like some the, very you know, uh, original chants. <laughs> they, they come up with a lot of stuff. The English and the Scottish are known for their insults. And yes. uh, and the Ricketts are very not, not very well liked right now. And uh, <laughs> I, I know as fans and, and reading up on a lot of uh, a lot of uh, message boards on uh, Chelsea message boards, uh, the fans really don't want them to be purchased by the Ricketts, but it's, of course, it's not up to the, it's not up to the fans. Of course, if we're up, of course, but uh, we'll have to wait and see on that one. But um, what, what is also the view from inside Chicago? So it's interesting. Uh, there was a couple of articles I was able to pull out, you know, there, you know, Chelsea has a huge following here in the United States. And um, there was actually a sky sports news, sports news uh, piece about one of the Chicago chapter members who spoke out on this that I think I wanted to uh, show to you guys. Uh, although if you don't know the that Ricketts question. family are flying to London as part of their bid to buy Chelsea. They're still waiting to find out if they've made it onto the shortlist of preferred bidders. Well, they're coming to meet key stakeholders, which include the Chelsea Supporters Trust and the Chelsea Pitch Owners. Now, this development comes after Tom Ricketts spoke on the phone yesterday to Greg Hans, the Conservative MP for Chelsea. The Ricketts family are members of the, or rather owners, of the Major League Baseball team, the Chicago Cubs, and their bid is backed by billionaire U.S. hedge fund manager Ken Griffin. But there's opposition. Yeah, so, so yeah. Oh, sorry. So go ahead, go ahead, Stephen. Go ahead, Stephen. Sorry. Okay. So already, right now, that was before you know they were in the bidding, and now they are. Uh, I, I believe I read uh, over the weekend now they are one of the finalists for the, uh, you know, the, 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 the groups to buy Chelsea as of right now. But here in Chicago, you know, the myself being a Cubs fan and a lot of us on the Barroom Network, you know, we, we follow the Cubs closely, you know, with the baseball just around the corner. And we have not been very, very happy with the, uh, the Ricketts level of commitment when it comes to, you know, putting uh, quality contenders. Um, you know, it's been far too long since the, the Cubs were – relevant you know th them winning the world series six years ago seems like <sighs> yesterday it seems like yesterday already mm -hmm. so it's kind of you know it's it's really weird why all of a sudden they want to buy chelsea um i forgot to mention in the last show there are several american owners who are involved in the uh, epl english premier league the glazers <laughs> own the buccaneers and John um, Henry, John Henry owns Liverpool. Who owns John Henry also owns the Boston Globe and the Boston Red Sox as well. And 
there has ever since he purchased the uh, the Reds, ever since he purchased Liverpool, Liverpool and the Red Sox fans wonder where his commitment really is. Is it really to Liverpool? Is it really to Boston? If the records purchase the the Chelsea football team or football club, that will also be a question amongst Cubs fans and Chelsea fans alike. Whether where is their real commitment going to be? That's right. And I forgot to mention the uh, Stan Kroenke, who owns the uh, the Rams. And Arsenal, who got their, uh, yeah. you know, butt kicked today. Yes. Three nothing to Crystal yes. Palace. Yes. So, Crystal Palace. Yes. Right. And the Arsenal fans have been very, very angry towards the uh, the Cronkies as well. So, if the Ricketts are, you know, worried about the fans' backlash, uh, you know, the Cubs fans like myself, as you saw on the um, earlier video about, you know, small fans you know, ch chanting F off Ricketts, you're not wanted here. You can imagine the uh, the field day that the the British media tabloids are going to have. You know, that's that will pale in comparison to what uh, the Ricketts are facing with the angry mm -hmm. Chicago Cubs fans. You know, there was a, you know, even Rick Morrissey who wrote a, a skating article, you know, the columnist with the Chicago Sun-Times about the Ricketts, not being able to escape his father, you know, Joe's anti-Muslim views. This is actually kind of weird uh, because, you know, the Ricketts used Joe's money to buy the Cubs to finance the, you know, uh, the Wrigley Field renovation. He has a sister who is a, um, a lesbian and a campaign for LGBTQ, uh, you know, uh, community. Right. So, yeah. It's a weird dynamic that the Ricketts are, you know, involved in right now, trying to make the Cubs relevant again, uh, you know, be more competitive. And, and then uh, you have a father who's a, a you know, bigoted anti-Muslim. And then a place like uh, London, you know, with Chelsea, where you have uh, players who are Muslims like, uh, uh, you know, Ngaku and uh, Zayach, you know, uh, very, very, uh, you know, strong uh, communities, you know, in the, uh, the, you know, the Muslim communities in London and, and, and also all over Europe who are, you know, big, big soccer fans. This is not going to go well. And, uh, you know, it's it's interesting to see, uh, you know, how the Ricketts navigate themselves, you know, the baseball around the corner. And if the Cubs tank, you know, then the fans are just going to pretty much, you know, throw in the towel. So, yeah. And also uh, in Manchester, where the fans are used to success, uh, especially for Manchester United, the Glazers have come under attack because of the uh, lack of success that Manchester United has had over the last few years, especially uh, uh, especially as they have not had been on top of the table uh, like they normally are. And uh, at least mm -hmm. for me as a Chelsea fan, that's fine with me. They can be off the top <laughs> of the table. But uh, certainly I can understand where the fans' anger are coming from at the Glazers. Uh, especially when they have success at Tampa Bay and not doing very well uh, with, right. the, with doing well with the Buccaneers, but not doing very well with the with the Red Devils. Uh, we also have to talk about uh, this past weekend, um, the NCAA Final Four. Of course, coming up uh, tonight will be the NCAA National Championship game between North Carolina and Kansas. But a great game on Saturday night between North Carolina and Duke. It, believe it or not, for their century-long rivalry it's the it was the first time the two teams had ever met in the ncaa tournament 
considering how many times they've met through the regular season and the ACC tournament. They've never met in the NCAA tournament, and uh, what a game it was. Really a fantastic game, one of the best college basketball games I've ever seen. Uh Um, Both teams going back and forth, and North Carolina finally winning. At least uh, I'm very happy about that, not being a very – not being a Duke fan, but let's talk a little bit about coach uh, Mike Krzyzewski's legacy, especially uh, what's interesting, a little full circle. His first regular season loss came to North Carolina. His last regular season loss came to North Carolina as he was trying to uh, say goodbye to Cameron indoor stadium and his last ever loss came to North Carolina. So it's a very interesting full circle there, but uh, Steven throughout in between that time when he had his very first loss and his very last loss, and you can see the uh, the, the the fans crying uh, at Cameron Indoor Stadium at the very last game uh, back in March. Um, S- Stephen, let's talk a little bit about Coach K's legacy. I mean, um, even despite the fact that uh, many uh, North Carolina fans were very happily calling him o- Coach L after the after the uh, game on Saturday, you have to see the 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 great success that he's had with. Uh, going to 13 national uh 13 final fours which is now the standard the record he uh, uh is now uh, one over coach John winning at UCLA and uh, and so many national championships and his last one I think it was in 20 2015 or 2018 but uh really fantastic record oh without a doubt I I don't think coach K's legacy isn't um, you know tarnished by any stretch of the imagination you know he rep- you know he coached Team USA in Olympics, uh, won gold medal. You know, his ability to interact with the pros was, uh, you know, just incredible. You know, winning two gold medals 2012 and 2016. Um, you know, the the ability to, you know, coach the young players at a college level and then do it against the, uh, you know, in the international game coaching the, uh, you know, um, millionaire pro athletes as uh, it's a uh, it's, it's incredible uh, what he did at Duke you know as much as you know we hate Duke and uh, you know the programs you know tremendous success under him you know you can't deny that and obviously he probably won't be able to sleep having lost to North Carolina in such fashion regular season and then on Saturday but uh, you know he'll definitely go into Hall of Fame uh, oh, if yeah. not already, but, uh, you know, um, the Duke has a huge, you know, shoe to fill, you know, John Shire, the longtime assistant and a former player, obviously, and, he knows Coach K. Yeah. Yeah. Coach K's uh, system, Coach K's, uh, you know, culture. Uh, it will be interesting to see, you know, because you got a lot of uh, players right now on that team who are probably going to leave, you know, one and done, you know, Paolo Banchero and uh, guys like that, you know, who will probably leave and become a first round picks. Um, you know, it will be interesting to see if he can keep any of them and if any of the recruits who are coming in next year can continue their success. Absolutely. And uh, like we said, an interesting piece of trivia, he almost became the coach of the Boston Celtics back in the 1990s. Um, they, uh, they gave him a very hard offer uh, he eventually did turn it down, and uh, eventually the Celtics hired Rick Pitino instead. But it came very – he was very close to becoming the Boston Celtics coach. So imagine what could have happened had he decided to go to the NBA back in the 90s rather than stay. Uh, would Duke have been so successful um, mm-hmm. after his departure? Probably not. 
but still we'll never know. And uh, Duke's, uh, his legacy is very uh, solid uh, as he retires and leaves coaching in 2022. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, we, we wouldn't be uh, remiss. Everyone's talked about it. We would be remiss if we didn't talk about it. What happened? not this past Sunday, but two Sundays ago, the slap heard around the world. Uh, Will Smith slapping uh, Chris Rock on stage at the Oscars after Will Smith, uh, after not Will Smith, but after Will Smith heard the joke about from Chris Rock in regards to um, his wife's uh, bald head, Chris, uh, oh, J- Jada. Oh, Pickett, here, right? I think. Yeah, she said that he said, uh, made a joke about, I can't wait to see G.I. Jane 2 not realizing that uh, Jada Pickett Smith has alopecia, which causes her hair to fall out. And she looks actually very beautiful as a bald, as, as quite bald, yeah, but still yeah. yes. um, he did not, I don't think he realized the joke. He didn't realize mm-hmm. it. He said, if he didn't, he realized had that been the case, had he realized that ahead of time, he would not have made that joke, but still um, a lot of record repercussions around it. Um, but let's talk a little bit about that, Stephen, before we go to break uh, your thoughts. Uh, you know, it's, um, it's a tough, it's a tough one. You know, it's, um, you know, I I spoke with a, a black colleague of mine the day after, uh, he's, uh, he's an older guy. He's probably retiring in a couple of years. He, he made that clear. And, um, you know, he, he said it, it makes us look real, real bad. And that, that really, really, you know, uh, stuck me. You know, as a as a minority myself too, um, you know the fallout has has been pretty strong. You know, uh, Smith uh, resigned from the academy. I think a lot of his uh, work is kind of put on hold right now because nobody wants to do anything with him. Yeah. Um, and I and I and I jokingly said somewhere that uh, at some point maybe these two, you know, who had a very um, you know. Uh, I, I don't want to call it a weird uh, relationship dynamics. Um, at, at one point, do you do you say you know both Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith decide to call it call it off? You know, I know there are people saying that uh, you know she's she's strong enough of a woman to you know protect herself, and and I and I do agree with that. But yeah. Um, the repercussion and the the image will reverberate for a long, long time, and and uh, you know it's it's a it's a very difficult one, you know, for me to comment and you know really kind of really digest because I can see both sides to it, and I know that's a seem like a cop out to some degree, but I don't know if Will Smith did the right thing by, you know, th- you know, th- you know, slapping. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's 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 a it's a constant reminder for us to, you know, maintain our dignity, but also maintain our poise and uh, uh, composure, no yep, matter yep. no matter what. I will say this. A lot of comedians uh, were very fearful because they have, of course, their whole career is made on um very cutting comments and insults and of course uh, being protected or not necessarily being protected, but not having a, someone come up the stage and uh, come up onto the stage from the crowd and slap them. Uh, many were fearful that this may open up a can of worms, but let's certainly hope not. 
and uh, we'll certainly see the repercussions of this throughout the year and the, and the in the weeks and the months coming ahead. Coming up, we're going to be talking about the Bears and they're coming up on the draft. We have a lot of things to discuss. We have a couple of guests coming up and uh, we can uh, get, get to break into. We'll be right back after these messages on the Barroom Network. The past year has seen a 1,900% rise in anti-Asian hate crime in New York City alone. With 2,800 incidents reported across 47 states and Washington, D.C., this is a national crisis, and we need your help to call it out. Call it a crime. Call it what it is, racism. Let's stand up together against hate. Learn more at StopAAPIHate.org. Back once again, back once again, back once again, back once again, back once again with a beat at the best trick. We are back on the Barroom Network, and uh, let's talk. Uh, let's see what we have uh, right now for our guests upcoming. We're supposed to have a couple of guests, but I think we have one on the line right now. So why don't we at least uh, bring one person in? It's Rishab Skiri of the Windy Productions. Uh, Skiri and uh, Rishab, nice to have you joining us. Uh, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good, man. You guys have a nice show. I was listening in and got some good topics to talk about obviously so thank yeah. you so much yeah for sure uh Usaid is uh we're working on him uh, he just uh contacted me and uh we're working on to uh, you know have him uh join in uh, uh, shortly but um although uh if you don't mind pulling up the uh article uh that you sent to us uh regarding the uh the variety article uh speaking of the uh, Acad academy uh, awards um, there was an interesting, uh, you know, uh, uh, development that day, other than the, uh, the slap heard around the world. Um, I'm sure you might be familiar, um, you know, with the, uh, you know, this is where it all happened. The Summer of Soul, uh, that was, uh, uh that won the, uh, what was this? Uh, uh, best documentary, documentary award. This was a documentary, right? Yeah, best documentary. It's playing on Hulu, Summer of Soul, which is about uh, the, what they call the Black Woodstock. Uh, it was played during the 1960s. It was in Harlem. It was uh, It's great footage. And not many people really knew about this until Questlove uh, put this documentary uh, on, uh, and it was on Hulu. So uh, there was a joke that Chris Rock made out as he was trying to recover uh, uh -huh. from the uh, slap. And basically saying that uh, the they're basically four white guys coming up on stage, but uh, that was not uh, it wasn't necessarily the best of jokes. He, he, Chris Rock wasn't having the best of moments after making a joke about alopecia, and then four white guys, and then uh, as you can see, uh, the producer Joseph Patel wrote an article, in, or basically did an interview with um, Variety, basically calling uh, Chris Rock an effing dick 
for calling him a white guy. So uh, <laughs> it's it's uh, it was quite interesting, and uh, the reaction, of course, by Joseph Patel is justified. I, I I have to say, even though Chris Rock was probably trying to recover from that situation, trying to still make jokes, but still, um, you know, uh, it, it still wasn't the best of moments uh, uh, for the Oscars at that time. Yeah, um, obviously, I think this was a kind of a what ad lib, right? It was basically a written ad lib. I mean, according, uh, I think Aldo and I were we were talking about this before we came on, and Aldo said that that basically, uh, it, in rehearsals, he still made that joke. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so obviously, you know, the reason why Ken and I started this show was obviously to bring more AAPI. Uh, people, you know, into give them more attention and uh, give them the spotlight. Obviously, Rashab and Usaid obviously is very well known within the Bears community. Rashab, uh, while we wait for Usaid, uh, what are your thoughts yeah. on, you know, things like this when, you know, Chris Rock, you know, obviously he's got garnered a lot of sympathy or for happy and then, you know, you know, praise for, you know, taking it like a man for, you know, getting hit, but obviously mm -hmm. making some, uh, uh, you know, off comments such as this one yeah i mean it's kind of a tough situation because when i saw this whole thing two weeks was it two weeks ago or maybe it was, no, last that was like week. more like a week or so ago. yeah it was like last week and i was like in some ways i was like this is the best thing to possibly happen to the oscars right because nobody was talking about the oscars nobody really cared about it as much and you know everybody is talking about it now so in some ways i mean i'm sure the people at the oscars are like kind of happy that this happened because it I mean, any publicity is good publicity in some cases, right? But like you mentioned, exactly. for Chris Rock, for the various people involved, for Will Smith, obviously, obviously not something you want to have associated with you, right? Especially for Will Smith. I mean, he's been a professional his entire career. And that was, I mean, I think we'd all agree that was like a weak point for him, even though, you know, he did, Chris Rock did say something that was like personally offensive to him, but violence should probably never be the answer. So Right. That, I mean, I don't really have too many opinions on it other than I thought it was pretty funny. And like, I don't think, you know, Will Smith should be canceled from any everything, right? Like they're kind of stopping him from going to, I don't know, like he resigned <laughs> from the Academy and all that. I don't really know how movie movie stuff works, but I think the reaction has been a little bit over the top, but that's just my opinion. Right. Well, I mean, Louis C.K. won the uh, Grammy yesterday for Best Comedy. So... Yeah. Anybody who says or, you know, whether it's him or anybody mm -hmm. who's defending him and, you know, cancel culture, I think they can at least put that to bed aside for uh, for a mm -hmm. moment. All right. So our other guest tonight, uh, Usaid Koshul, we've uh, we had a little bit of a technical difficulty. Usaid, is that is that a, a, a correct pronunciation? It's actually Usaid, guys. Usaid Koshul. Yes. All right. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Usaid. Um, let's get to the topic that we uh, we wanted to discuss about, you know, this being a, uh, you know, the Bears uh, network. Um, you know, both of you guys have gotten a lot of attention from the Bears fans like myself for being a uh, Bears expert and a Bears YouTuber, you know, uh, Rishab. Um where do you stand on this offseason? I know a lot of people are very, very impatient so far with what Ryan Poles have done. Um, obviously, I'm one of the people, but the the level of damage that was inflicted by Ryan Pace paying, you know, uh, veterans like Jimmy Graham and Robert Quinn such a, you know, a 
ridiculous amount of money. At least Robert Quinn uh, produced this past year, but uh, there's significant amount of cleaning up to do with the, um, you know, the salary cap and everything. Where do you stand on uh, what the Bears have done so far under Ryan Poles? Uh, Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. You go ahead. I mean, yeah, I'll take this one first. There's a sense of urgency, I think, that exists because for the first time in forever, the Bears have a highly prized quarterback. I mean, I don't remember a Bears team in my lifetime outside of, I want to say, the 2018 team and then one or two times throughout the Jay Cutler era where everyone was like, hey, the Bears have kind of brought in this quarterback. We feel like the Bears have finally found the one. And so when you just talk about windows in the NFL and how fast they open up, how fast they close, they close much faster than they open up. There's a reason that Bears fans are just like, hey, attack it, get it out there. But I also think that people have to kind of take a step back and understand this whole aspect, too, is that whenever a new regime comes in, the first year is typically always spent kind of just going ahead and cleaning up whatever garbage was left behind by the previous regime. And, you know, I looked at the way Ryan Poles operated in free agency this season, this offseason. And I looked at the way that Ryan Pace operated in free agency his first season when he got here. It's not very different, the approach both took. I mean, both were incredibly patient. You know, if people remember that first offseason, Ryan Poles was bringing in some of these low-risk, high-reward type veterans, such as an Antra Royal and Eddie Royal. And I liken that to what Ryan Poles is doing right now because he's also bringing in these low-risk, high-reward players who have been productive in other situations. And right now you're just trying to find a diamond in the rough. But people also have to understand this final aspect too that I'll hit on is that for the Bears right now, the Bears are at a point, this team's at a point where some of these players that the Bears are bringing in are not going to be long-term building blocks. The long-term building blocks are going to come through the NFL draft. You know, half this roster that we're looking at right now is, and it all starts with the Khalil Mack trade too, is like Ryan Paul's recognized that, look, 90 to 95% of this roster is not going to be around in three to four years anyway. And so him kind of playing this long-term approach, it sucks right now, but I always tell people this, and I've been saying this for two years now when it became very apparent going into the 2020 season, the Bears were going to need another quarterback, is that when you draft an NFL quarterback, it's kind of like buying a house, right? You're not making this two, three, four-year investment. You're investing in something for you know, 15, 20, 25 plus years, whatever the case may be, right? So the point is necessarily is that it sucks right now, but you know what? Two to three years of kind of taking it slow and just building through the draft is basically all about 15 to 20 years of dominance for the Bears with Justin Fields. Rochelle, what are your thoughts on the, uh, what Usaid has touched on the uh, polls offseason move so far? Yeah, I agree with a lot of what he said and, you know, like Ryan Pulse in his opening press conference, he wants to build this thing through the draft. He doesn't want to overpay free agents his first year. He doesn't want to trade all of his draft capital for like a DK Metcalf or for like a Tyreek Hill. He wants to build this slowly through the draft, which I feel like is the right thing to do. And also, you know, you talked about getting those second, third wave of free agency guys, which we haven't signed too many free agents at this point in time, but there's still a lot of them out there. So I get that Bears fans have been kind of impatient because like Usad said, like we have a very talented quarterback now in Justin Fields, and we've probably never had a quarterback this talented. So people want to see us, you know, build around this quarterback while he's on his rookie deal, which is going to be pretty important, right? Because we don't have to pay him very much money at all for, you know, three more years, right? So I do agree that 
building it slowly through the draft is you know the right way to go but i also would if there's anything i would criticize ryan poles on i still wish he got maybe more proven things on the offensive line because if there's any part of the team that i feel like has to be you know solid for justin fields it will be the offensive line so maybe that's one area where he could have been a little bit better maybe a little bit more aggressive but at the same time we didn't have that much money at all to spend this year guys like obviously next year we have crazy amount of money we have like over i think over 120 million dollars or something like that but this offseason we only had like 30 million something like that we had to you know redo the entire team pretty much like everybody left so i get that bears fans are impatient a lot of people are already turning on ryan poles which i i think that's absolutely crazy. <laughs> yeah. he's only been here for three months not even three months like two months hasn't had his first nfl draft so sure. i think that after the draft the bears fans might be feeling a little bit better because i'm assuming we will we will have gotten you know a receiver offensive lineman maybe some more guys so we'll sure. see but bears fans do have to be patient mm-hmm well, the draft uh, only about a couple of weeks away, um, you know, with the six picks right now. I expect the Bears to do some, you know, trading down, you know, just to garner picks. I know people will be, you know, like, don't trade picks just for the sake of making one. But where do you see Ryan Poles with the uh, upcoming draft? Who are the players that you guys think that there will be a, a pretty good fit for the uh, Bears? Uh, let's start with you, side. Sorry about that. Let's start with you, side. Yeah, so when you look at this NFL draft, it's interesting because a lot of times quarterbacks kind of dictate just the way that the draft board falls. But this year it's real different because you have a really good cornerback class, a really good wide receiver class, two positions that have basically become premium in a league that's just driven by elite wide receiver play, elite quarterback play, and elite offensive play and so ultimately when you look at that you know you have a couple blue chip prospects Aiden Hutchinson Kayvon Thibodeau I think that's going to start pushing players down the board that the Mm -hmm. Bears are going to keep an eye on one name that I've been very high on since the pre-draft process started back in January Zion Johnson from Boston College I really think that Ryan Poles and Ian Cunningham I mean they have connections in the ACC, so Zion Johnson's a name to keep an eye on. You look at that second round. I mean, the Bears having two second-round picks, and this is kind of a blessing in disguise from the Khalil Mack trade because you're looking at, I think, an offensive lineman and a wide receiver, right? You look at all the good teams in the NFL. I mean, a common theme with them is they draft and develop both of those positions extremely well. And so mm-hmm. for wide receiver, you're looking at, you know, I don't think a guy like a Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson is going to be there for the bears. Christian Watson's a name that I like to think is much hotter in league circles than bears fans right. expect. So I don't think he's going to be there at 39 just because you don't find a six foot three, six foot four, wide receiver that's that good of an athlete and that good of a physical specimen like Christian Watson. I mean, those guys are some rare commodities, but again, DK Metcalf slipped a couple years ago and everyone for sure thought he was the number one wide receiver in that 2019 class. But you know, other names to keep an eye on. I like Traylon Burks from Arkansas. I think David Bell being a possession receiver that he is, he's a name to keep an eye on. And then if you throw a wild card in there, I would have to say that cornerback is a position where it's interesting because I, Knowing Matt Eberflus and the Bears defensive staff's track record of drafting and developing defensive backs, I think that they could certainly try to get the most out of Jalen Johnson and Thomas Graham Jr. But I also would not surprise me to see them draft a cornerback in the second round and just get, you know, that position shored up for the future. Rashab, um, you know, the receivers and the uh, the corners are two top knees at the moment right now, along with the offensive line. 
Is there any other need that the Bears really need to start addressing uh, before the uh, start of the season? Any particular players you have in mind on the upcoming draft? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of needs on our entire team, right? Because if you look at a roster right now, there's not really many areas where you feel like we have said sure things. Like receiver obviously has big holds. Offensive line has maybe big holds, you know, tight end. Cole Clement is still pretty young, but like, do we have another tight end along with him? We only have Jesper Horstead signed um, sure. on the roster right now. So tight end could also be a need. Running back is like the only area where I feel like we're totally fine right now. Like we are yeah. obviously on Monty. Khalil Herbert, probably one of the best running back duos in the entire NFL. So, you know, offense does have a lot of needs. And like Usad said, like receiver and offensive line should be probably the biggest priority for the Bears this year because you want to see what Justin Fields can be, right? And if you don't surround him with any sort of talent, you're not going to see anything close to what he can be, right? Like last year, we only had Darnell Mooney as our main receiver. Allen Robinson was like on and off the entire season. We had practically no good third option besides, you know, Marquise Goodwin sometimes. So, Getting a number two, you know, number one receiver, too, if you don't view Mooney as a one, you know, that'd be pretty important. Interior offensive line, you know, Dylan Parham is a name, um, you know, Zion Johnson as well. But I feel like Zion is going to be gone in the first round, according yeah. to the mock that I've seen. So we'd be lucky if he falls. But to go to the defense then, you know, like you said, cornerback is obviously a need. Jalen is probably the only sure thing we have right now. But, you know, Thomas Graham Jr., we'll see what happens with him. But there's a lot of good cornerbacks in this draft, so I could see – you know, maybe us drafting a guy like Marcus Jones in the third in the third round. I like him out of where is he from? I forgot what college he's from, but Houston? he's a pretty top. yeah, Houston, Houston, yeah. So Marcus Jones, maybe um, linebacker. I could also see us attacking because again, we only really have Roquan and Nicholas Moreau. Mm -hmm. So you know, we need more linebackers in the scheme, so that could be pretty important. We got rid of Khalil Mack, so if you want another Ed rusher too, so pretty much. Like, I could see us going with any player that's really talented. Right now, it should be kind of a best player available approach. Um, sure. Aside from maybe the first couple of picks, because I still feel like we need to invest more in the offense because there's not really much proven things on the offense right now. I get it. I get it. That's why I still think that the uh, the trading down is a, a, a big, uh, important uh, option for the Bears, whether it's just one of their second-round picks or maybe both of their second-round picks. Uh, you know, to get an extra third or fourth round because, you know, they need all the picks that they have, you know, which is not something that uh, we, the Bears fans, are used to seeing because, uh, you know, Ryan Pace pretty much traded away a lot of picks and we ended up losing a lot of compensation picks as well because of the uh, free agent signings. Uh, we, we have Rishab Shikiri, who is the, uh, the YouTuber with the, the Windy City uh, Chicago and Usaid Kosrul, who covers the, the Bears report for 24-7. Uh, joining us tonight to talk about the Bears. Um, you know, both of you guys, I, I want to know how you guys kind of started your own uh, career, you know, and obviously our show began, you know, with the can and myself. We're both being Asian Americans at a time when, you know, our community is kind of somewhat of an attack under attack during the pandemic and wanted to kind of amplify our voices. Uh, Rishab, you know, you have a very popular YouTube show. Can, can you give us a, an idea of where you guys, where you got your start and where you are right now? Yeah, sure. So I pretty much, I've said the story a couple of times, but pretty much how it started was by accident. I never really intended to have a YouTube channel. I never really intended to like give my opinions on the bears or whatnot, but I think it was like sophomore year of college or it was freshman year of college, um, spring break. And I had like nothing going on that spring break. Like I wasn't going on vacation or anything. So I was just sitting at home kind of bored and that was right after the 2018 
you know, signings that we made. And I was really hyped about like all the signings that we made. I read, like, we got Allen Robinson, who I was pretty excited about, you know, Taylor Gabriel, Trey Burden at the time, I was pretty excited about. We hired Matt Nagy, who was this new, we thought innovative offensive mind. So I got so excited about that. So I was like, why not make a hype video to like hype this team up, just put together clips of my favorite moments of the team to kind of hype everybody up for the next season. And yeah, I posted on YouTube, not expecting anything to happen, but a few weeks later, I checked back. It has like almost 50, 60,000 views. So I'm like, oh my God, I might have struck gold on this. So that's pretty much like how I started. I just started making more hype videos. Then when the season started, I doing like, you know, reaction videos, prediction videos, just giving my opinion on the Bears. And I wouldn't consider myself like a media member. I'm kind of more just like a fan giving my opinions and, you know, you know, speaking on the Bears and whatnot. So Right now, the channel is going pretty good. I still make videos, you know, reacting to what's going on in the Bears world and also making hype videos like you have on the screen right now. So, sure. Yeah. Your uh, Justin Fields video is the one that uh, really got me really excited. And that's how I found out about you. And uh, you've really been, uh, you know, producing high quality uh, hype videos for the Bears fans to be really, really excited about, even in, in the down years. Side, I remember I reached out to you by, you know, Twitter, you know, you were, you know, working with uh, Patrick Sheldon, another, you know, Bears blogger, Twitter handle in the past. And uh, can you explain uh, where you kind of uh, gotten started and how you ended up uh, writing about the Bears? Yeah, so I remember my senior year of high school, and this is going back to 2016, we had decided to do a sports journalism unit in the class. And you know, up until that point, I was kind of like any other fan is I would kind of log on to ESPN and Bleacher Report and just read whatever was going on. And then my teacher kind of noticed that there was a artistic style to my writing specifically about the Bears and sports journalism. And, you know, again, my family's been living in Chicago for like 15, 16 years now. So I kind of grew up watching the Bears too, but just through that, you know, I graduated high school and then all throughout 2016, I wasn't sure where to get started, but I always kind of looked and said, hey, is there something that I'm doing right now? I mean, is there a market out there for where I could start my own website? So I started at sportsblog.com, just networked, you know, via Twitter, moved over to a couple different websites, kind of got my foot in the door in the Bears community through Bear Goggles On, which is at fan-sided right now. Um, I have to say, I've met a lot of amazing people along the way, and then just kept being persistent, you know, signed on with Bear Report January 2019, and then signed on with a couple podcast networks that no longer exist, and then went ahead and you know through the connections at the podcast network i landed at empire sports media and fireside bears which is another website that i do you know facebook twitter youtube instagram all that kind of stuff just related to the bears so my journey hasn't been a traditional journey because i've only taken one journalism class in my entire life in high school but you know i just think that continuing to be persistent networking um always wanting to go ahead and learn you know what just yeah, it's kind of led me to where I am today. And I like to tell people it started out as a hobby. And now because I actually get compensated real well for doing this type of work, it's like a part-time job to me. You know, I've been credentialed a couple times, but it's just been fun overall doing it. That's great to hear. Um, now let's talk a little bit about the uh, about the Holy as a general. Uh, as we all know, it's a 24-7 beat 
things keep going all the time. So let's talk a little bit about the league. Uh, as a as a Browns fan, I'm very disturbed about the Deshaun Watson trade. Um, and, uh, of course, we don't know well, whether he is going to be playing this season because Roger Goodell has, still has to decide. And, of course, the civil case still has to be decided against him. But where do you guys uh, stand on the, on, the, on the Watson trade to the, to the Browns? I'll go with you. Yeah, you go ahead. Go ahead, Rashad. Oh. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, it's obviously tough if you're a Browns fan because, you know, this guy is like a really talented quarterback, probably the most talented quarterback in the entire history. But sure. you have all these off the field stuff that you might not agree with, like having him be the quarterback of your team. So I've been seeing on Twitter, like people debating both sides. And it's a really tough argument, tough, you know, discussion to have because most people just want to talk about football. But there's so much stuff that's, you know, bigger than football. So I really don't know. Like, there's obviously a ton of cases. So you know, it, we'll see what happens, but it's it's just a lot of baggage for the Browns too, right? Because they have to think about this the entire next season. And like Baker Mayfield's still on the roster too. So like, I don't even know what happens with <laughs> Baker Mayfield now because like apparently nobody wants him, at least <laughs> the price that you have to pay him. I think it's like 19 million or something like that. So I don't know, man. I salute to you for being a Browns fan because it must be a really tough uh, situation. I have, I, I have lost body parts to this <laughs> going back to since they oh, began. Man. So my, my my kidneys have shut down. My my <laughs> liver has shut down. It, it, it's an awful thing. Um, you said, what about the uh, what's going on with the rest of the league? Where do you, where do you see uh, uh, this entire division, especially with uh, Aaron Rodgers coming back and uh, Minnesota having they're dealing with a new with a, with a whole new uh, management team as well? Yeah, look, the entire division, I think, is a complete toss-up at this point. Now, you look at the Green Bay Packers, and we kind of have to start at the very top and just work our way down, you know? You look at Green Bay, and, okay, Aaron Rodgers is back, but then we also know the information that came out where Aaron Rodgers basically knew his best friend, Devontae Adams, wasn't coming back. And what had happened is this, is that he's like, I'm going to sign here anyway because I believe this is where I'm going to go ahead and get the most money. So I think for Aaron Rodgers coming back, this was more about money than it was mm -hmm. anything. And, you know, when you look at the Devontae Adams trade here, I think Devontae Adams is going into whatever, his eighth or ninth year in the league. And at some point, I think as a player and just an employee, you in general kind of get tired of the way things are being run and coming up short year after year. And, you know, we've all been there in life in our careers where it's like <laughs> we're with a certain company and we don't like the direction that it's going. So we put our two weeks right. in, we move on it. Devontae Adams, I think, got so tired of falling short year after year. He's like, you know what? Let me go ahead and play somewhere else where I'm going to have a legitimate chance at winning. And again, Derek Carr is his best friend. So ending up in Vegas, I'm not surprised. Now, you look mm -hmm. at the Detroit Lions. Detroit's certainly interesting case because last offseason when they hired Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell as GM and head coach, they signed them to six-year deals. So they've still got five years remaining. And Detroit's really trying to do this The right way for the first time in forever. They traded for Jared Goff last offseason. They restructured his contract. So I think they've committed to him for another two to three seasons, knowing that they are going to build this roster up and hopefully have a solid foundation built for whenever a quarterback decides to <laughs> be in their draft plans. Right, Detroit versus everybody. Thank you, Don. And then when I look at the bears i mean i think what's happening is this is it's like we talked about ryan poles is taking this extremely patient approach but there's also this question that pops up is that if you're george mccaskey and you're 
basically the direct supervisor. You're the chairman. So you're basically Ryan Poles is supervisor at this point. Sure. Does your timeline for Poles and Eberflus get impacted now that they've put this plan into action, specifically knowing that there is a highly prized rookie quarterback that is on the roster? That's, I think, a legitimate question we have to ask. But, you know, just looking at the rest of the league, it's very interesting because there's been a lot of, you know, league shifting moves that have been made you're talking Tyreek Hill Russell Wilson Devontae Adams so when we talk every year about the NFL's a year-to-year league this year though it's a year-to-year league that is going to have a major impact on the league for the next few seasons and uh, let's talk about where uh, Jimmy Garoppolo may be headed Rashad, what any, any guesses on where he might be headed uh, after after the season he's had with San Francisco I think he's staying on the 49ers because, like, at this point in time, I don't even know who's going to trade for him, right? Because if you want to get a veteran quarterback, you probably already got yours in free agency like the Steelers did. And if you want another one, like Baker Mayfield is still out there, and he's, in my opinion, he's a better quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo, even though he hasn't gotten to the places where Jimmy G has been. Jimmy G has been surrounded by, like, some great, great teams. So I think that it probably makes – because I know they want to start Trey Lance – but like as a yeah. backup, if you want to have Jimmy G as a backup, like that would that would be like one of the best backups in the NFL. So I guess it totally depends on like what Jimmy G if he's okay with being a backup. If you absolutely can't find anything for for Jimmy G, like I think he's just staying with the 49ers. Because like I can't think of a single team that would really need him desperately right now. And you said we also have, of course, the the old Bears quarterback, Mitchie Two Bags, Mitchie Trubisky going over to the Pittsburgh Steelers. How do you think he's gonna do over there? Honestly. You know, the Steelers have had a couple disappointing years in a row now. They've made the playoffs, but they've had disappointing exits. They kind of go ahead and they've limped to the playoffs a couple times too. But when you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers right now, they're one of the few teams in the NFL that doesn't matter who's on the roster. They're just so well coached. So I think from that perspective, Mitch certainly ended up in a good situation. Now, I think last 2021 pretty much proved that a lot of us were probably more wrong than we're willing to admit. And that the real problem in Chicago wasn't Mitch Trubisky. It's just that Bears fans love to use the quarterback as the punching bag whenever things are going wrong. And it's the only fan base in sports that does this, by the way, that just blames the players and will give the coaches <laughs> more slack than we're willing to admit. But, you know, getting back to kind of Mitch here is that he's had a year to sit on the bench, kind of hone his skills. And that run first offense that they're going to run in Pittsburgh through Najee Harris is certainly going to play to Mitch Trubisky's strength. And ultimately I still think that the way they structured the contract was basically a, Hey, it's a one year deal and that's about it. Now knowing that Tomlin and the GM, Kevin Colbert at all these pro days, looking at these quarterbacks, I would not be surprised to see Pittsburgh draft a quarterback knowing that they are going to get the most out of Mitch Trubisky and they can kind of afford to let a less talented QB, someone who's relatively inexperienced, like a Sam Howell, like a Malik Willis, like a Kenny Pickett, kind of just sit on the bench and for a year or two and marinate and take it all in before finding, inserting that guy in as a long-term solution. Well, on that note, uh, we'll wrap it up. Uh, Usaid Kushio, Bears reporter, a Bears reporter with the Bears report on 24 7, and uh, Rashad Sikri, uh, the Windy City uh, production. Thank you so much for both of you. You know, we both, you know, at the Bears uh, Barroom Network, we'd love to have you guys back on even before the season or during the season 
this upcoming year, let's hope that, uh, you know, the Bears will be in much better shape than what the uh, Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace left us with. And uh, hopefully the upcoming draft will offer some, uh, you know, glimmer of hope, uh, you know, that, that they're heading in the right direction. Thank you guys for coming on short notice. And uh, we look forward to having both of you guys again in the future. Of course. Thank you. Thank yeah, you guys. Absolutely. Thank so you guys. Much. And uh, that's pretty much going to wrap up the show for tonight. Uh, we thank you for watching us here on the Barroom Network. Stephen, uh, quickly, um, we, of course, the NFL draft is coming up. Um, what are your thoughts? And uh, before we wrap up, what do you think about the uh, – you heard we heard from our guests on what we thought about the Bears' needs are. What about uh, – what do you think are, uh, at this point of the Bears' most important needs? Well, I, I pretty much think that uh, what uh, both guys are saying, you know, this team has got a lot of holes. Um, only running back seem like a pretty good uh, position as of right now. Um, Ryan Poles have to build this team through the draft, and this draft will pretty much define, you know, where the team is going, not just this year, but beyond that. You know, we can't have any more screw-ups where, you know, we saw with Ryan Pace and the, uh, the you know, the general managers before, you know, a lot of first-round picks or the top picks who didn't pan out. So we can't have that. We have to hit on those, you know, two second-round picks. You know, whether they keep them or whether they trade them down for more picks, that's that's still to be debated. But a couple of weeks from now, we'll find out where the Bears are heading. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of us will be, you know, nervously and but also cautiously optimistic about the direction this uh, team is heading right now. Absolutely. And thank you, Cliff, for the uh, good words. Uh, that will we'll definitely keep them coming. Uh, our next show is going to be coming up in two weeks on April 18th due to work commitments. I will not be a part of that show, but Stephen, you will still be here. So uh, we'll have some interesting guests as well. Uh, coming up next on the Barroom Network, it's Talking White Sox. Uh, South Burb Hitman are all coming up. And of course, the White Sox are, are going to be have an interesting season as well as the Cubs as well. But uh, Alyssa Bergamini is going to be the guest. She's going to be on uh, Talking White Sox with South Burb Hitman coming up. I'm Ken. He's Steven. Have a good night. Thank you for joining us on the AA team, and we'll see you in two weeks. Thank you, guys. Good night.